is an incredible kind of concept to wrap our, our minds around, right? That the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our, our Saviour, the one who is high and lifted, the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, actually He's also, He's your friend. I just wonder right now, maybe in your lounge room, maybe you're watching on your iPhone while your, your kids are in the backyard, I just want you to realise that Jesus, Jesus is your friend. He's your best friend. He knows everything there is to know about you. I just, I actually just get a bit of a picture of him just actually just sitting down next to you. Just sitting down next to you. It's like your friend is there. And the the second lyric that jumped out at me is that lyric that talks about the fact that the government is on his shoulders, which reminds me that the government is not on my shoulders. Right, and that seems like a seems like a strange thing to say. Like, oh, I don't think the government's on my. No, no, but we take on the weight of everything that's happening, right? Like, like it's like we just, we put it on our shoulders, like we have a responsibility to manage and change. And Hey, God, it's not on our shoulders. It's, it's on Him. And actually, He can manage that. He can carry that. He, you know, He doesn't, you can, you can, you can take that weight right off this morning and you can, you can just give it to your friend who's sitting right next to you, who cares so much about you. And you can actually just can trust him. You can trust him that he's got it. He's actually got every situation in your life, every situation in current culture. He's got it. You don't need to. You don't need to take responsibility for all of the things that we kind of navigate right now. Just, just like let it go. It's okay. It's okay this morning to let it go. Give it over to Him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. If you are weighed down this morning, maybe you are carrying something and taking responsibility for the implication of something that you are not equipped and not designed to carry. Give it to Him. Give it to Him. Even if you don't even know how, He's right there. He's right there to actually help take it. You just kind of have to begin with a, like a, a, a willingness. God, I don't know how to hand this over. I've been stressing about it all week. He's like, it's okay, I know how to take it. Uh, you don't need to have all the right words. He knows, he actually knows your heart's desire. He knows you want to try to hand it over even if you don't know how to do that. Just trust him, he's so good. Is so good. We, we, want to, we want to control and sometimes we just need to trust. Thank you, Jesus. I want to pray right now for every person who's just handed over just the stuff that's been weighing them down. They're handing it over to you, God. I'm so thankful that you can carry it. You can manage it. You're amazing. You are, you are God and we are not. And that is actually so good. So good. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us today and bless us, Father, in Jesus' name. 
Well, we are in an awesome series this morning, church, and uh, I really hope that you have been with us all the way these last, what has been uh, two weeks into our third week this week of our series entitled Know Your Enemy. And uh, it's been enlightening, I don't know about you, but, you know, studying uh, this in Scripture and not just studying it, but realizing actually uh, how, how it's going on in my own life, right? Like you, you, start to, you start to see, wow, the enemy, his subtlety, his sneakiness, like he, he really is that relentless kind of like a lion prowling around. He's, 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 he's on the lookout. And uh, we've been camped around our series scripture this morning. And I would encourage you right now, get out a Bible. If you have not yet highlighted this scripture in your Bible, why don't you do that right now this morning? Uh, you know that this Bible is not just something that's supposed to look good. It's something we're supposed to just kind of get into. You know, it's, it's, it's called like our daily bread. It's like we're supposed to kind of eat it, not obviously because paper doesn't taste good, but it's like the idea of consuming it and getting it inside of us, right? And um, I want to encourage you that it's okay to write stuff in your Bible, highlight stuff in your Bible, even if you have the Bible app, like highlight it, take notes in it. That's out of the way that we interact with the Word of God. And so get it out this morning. Our series scripture is 1 Peter 5 verses 8. And nine. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to find that. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. I love the New Living Translation. I know that others have other favorites, but that's where we're going to be this morning. So get that out. And while you get that out, I just want to say I am super excited that next weekend uh, we are one step closer to coming back together. It will be our last like non-congregational service. And I, oh no, no, we got one more. Sorry, I'm, I'm a week ahead. My bad. Let's just go with the 5th of December. We're going to be together. How about I go with that? That's, then I'm not going to confuse anybody. 5th of December. I'm really excited because I believe that this series is actually God setting us up for what he wants to do in and through us as a community moving forward. And I cannot wait to see everybody in person on the 5th of December. It's going to be awesome. Uh, it's going to be a huge celebration. Um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna worship. We're going to praise. We're going to have so much fun together uh, in the house of God uh, as, we, as we lift up the name of Jesus. But can I encourage you, if you're thinking about coming back, wondering, is there going to be space? You know, what's, we have enough space for you. I just want to say that. We have enough space for you. If you are thinking about it, if you're wondering about it, please don't let that be something that would stop you from coming into the house of God. We are open. Doors will be open. It's going to be fantastic. Second thing, just quickly, internship. I, I actually really believe that with this internship, there is one or two of you out there. I, I, I don't want to carry away. I want to say lots, but I know there's one or two of you out there, and it is, it is actually resonating in your heart, and you're like, I, I don't know what it's going to be like, I don't know, you know, and you, you're trying to rationalize, you're trying to think, rather than go, you know what, I feel like God's calling me to it, and I don't know what it's going to look like. Can I encourage you that if it's resonating in you, that you just actually would begin a conversation, all right? Uh, don't, don't, 
kind of talk yourself out of it before you've actually responded to what God is stirring on the inside of you. Sometimes we can rationalize ourselves out of the calling of God because it doesn't seem feasible. It doesn't like we can't put all the all our ducks in a row towards it and, and we forget that we make our plans but God directs our steps and sometimes that's one step at a time. Uh, so I want those one or two people that it's, I know it's really resonating uh, to reach out, um, have a conversation with Pastor Mel. It's going to be awesome. All right. 1 Peter 5, 8-9 says this. It says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Amazing scripture to launch out of this morning, and we have been launching out of it the last couple of weeks. So, let's pray, and let's get into the Word of God. Father, I thank you so much that you walk each and every moment with us. I thank you that this morning, no matter where we're watching from, you are there. You want to speak. Your Spirit is there, wants to reveal, wants to help us, wants to challenge us. So, God, this morning, I pray you would do that in the life of every person watching in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you, if you believe that, if you want that, if you're like, yes, why don't you put amen in our chat? I can see a few people commenting in our chat this morning. Uh, I can see Cam. Cam confirm internship is awesome. Come on, man, you're a legend. And I saw, I saw you like steam up some mad, mad meat this week. Uh, that was great. And I don't know, steam's definitely the wrong word, but there you go. That's all what came to mind. So we're going to go with that. But uh, I don't know, it's got, you know, I've, I've been on a little bit of a theme. I don't know if you've noticed. It's, it's, I've been on a theme about games, uh, and we've talked about Gold, uh, GoldenEye, um, which I, I still stand by my statement week one, that it is the greatest Nintendo game ever released. Um, but, you know, and then we talked a little bit about Mario Kart, and if you've just tuned in and you're wondering why Preacher is talking about uh, video games, I encourage you, just hang around. Uh, make sense out of it. But this morning, I, I thought, you know, I've got to keep the trend going. So I wanted to talk uh, about uh, the what I think is the best Xbox game ever released. And again, I feel as though this is unchallengeable. And uh, Pastor Darren's already, he's already getting stirred up over, over the side. So Halo. Yeah, I've got some confirmation. I got, I got a yes over there. Can I get, a, can I get an amen in the chat? Halo, and, and actually, I would say Halo Two. I think was actually just a little bit better. Um, but I, you know, Halo, Halo Two came out when I was in the early days of university. And those of you who do university, you know, uh, although you may not realise. As you're doing it, looking back, you will realize that your university life stage, you have the greatest amount of free time that you will ever or ever had in your life, okay? And um, if maybe you didn't realize that and you're at uni, I want to let you know, you have the greatest amount of free time you will ever have in your life. Um, I'm not yet at the age of retirement, so I could be wrong in the whole, the whole of your life, but certainly up until this point. And so I filled up a lot of that time by playing Halo 2. And uh, at this point in time, my life hadn't sort of really met Jesus for real. And uh, so me and one of my mates, uh, we used to have a bit of a tradition, okay? And what we would do is we would, we would go down and we would get, we'd get a case of beer and we would get like a one kilo block of cheese. Very strange combination. I'm aware of that. And what we would do is we would, we would have what we would call Halo Marathons. 
And we'd just lock in, right? Because we didn't have anything else to do. It's like Thursday afternoon and there, there was no surf. And so we would like lock in Halo Marathon and we would have beer and like we would cut a slab of this kilo block of cheese and we would eat cheese, drink beer, play Halo. Um, and you wonder why I'm, I'm still alive today to talk about it. It's the grace of God, okay? He, he really, he was there with me during my uni years. And what we, we would put some significant time into, particularly at this point, it was Halo 2. We, that was where we really kind of landed with, with all of our free time. But we would often, you know, go and do, we'd do t- like the teamwork missions, right, like multiplayer, uh, not against each other, although we had a lot of fun with the whole against each other. But it was more about moving through, doing the, the I can't remember the exact word, like the story, right, like where you play the story. And we would do teamwork. And for those of you super into it, you would know that in Halo 2 there's, there's hidden skulls, right? I don't know how many gamers I'm talking to right now, but um, you would know there's hidden skulls. And, and in particular spots on different levels, you can collect these skulls and they enable you to turn on different things, right? Like it's a throwback to GoldenEye with paintball mode and those things, right? Like can't get past that game. It's, it's the foundation. But... But you could turn on these, these skulls, and we had, this, we had this goal where we would try to attempt to do the legendary mode with every skull turned on, right? Which meant that, you know, you would, if you died once, you went back to the whole start of the, 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 the entire level, and there was no, like, like scope finder thing, whatever that is, aimer. Yep, I'm, I'm all over the terminology. But all these things that were meant to make the level heaps harder, and we, we invested large amounts of time into that. And you can see my wife is very thankful for Jesus, you know, intervening in my life and, uh, and helping me out. And here's the thing, right? Like before we got into legendary mode, we, you know, we felt like we were quite good. And, and we, we would understand how each other operated in the game, right? Like I knew my mate's strength. He knew my strength. Um, I would leverage his strength at certain parts of the game to get through. He was always a little bit better than me. Um, but, you know, that was okay because I knew my, my lane and I would stay in that. But something that always irritated me, right, so, like always was always irritating, is that we were supposed to be these allies, right? We were supposed to work together. But at the end of the stage where there was like, you know, a particular like sort of video extra story, you know, the, the one got in the car and drove the, or, or, or like the, the banshee and then flew off. Just before the end of the level, right, just before the video kicked in, he would just fade behind me and then he'd, he'd like pistol whip me and, and I'd die. And so I would never get to be in the video. And he would do this to me like every time. And we would have sometimes like the end of the, the level, there'd be no baddies left. We would spend half an hour trying to pistol whip each other to not be in the end of the level video, right? And this, this is why we spent so much time in the game. But it was, I'm like, this is not, this is not how allies are meant to work, right? Like, the ally is not, not supposed to take you out, like, like dog shot you in the back, right? And anyway, I, I, I probably need some therapy around that, but <laughs> I was not expecting an amen from that, but there you go. But, like, what you're supposed to do with an ally, you're supposed to leverage their skill, right? You're supposed to utilize it. And here's the thing, right? They don't always have the same end goal in mind for you, right? Like, yes, getting to the end of the level was a combined goal. We were working with each other to do that. But it was evident that my friend had an ulterior motive, right? Like, he had an ulterior purpose. Like, he's like, yeah, we will get to the end of the level, but then I will, I will make sure my purpose uh, comes about, right? So I will, I will kill you right at the end just before you're able to celebrate finishing the level. 
And it's funny, right, because, because the enemy we know he's got, like, you know, the first week we unpacked the fact that he took you know, a, a third of the angels with him, and we know that there's an enemy, Satan, he's got his demonic force with him, right? Something that we should be aware of, but not afraid of, right? Now, don't mix up those two A words, okay? We're aware, we're not afraid. Why? Because we have authority over those things because of the name of Jesus. Um, and if, if, if he can, he will cause you to fear him rather than triumph over him. And it's really important that we don't, don't allow him to do that, okay? So, but you have to understand something. A part of our awareness of him is being aware of what he partners with to outwork his purpose in our lives. And so in the same way that I would partner with, with who I thought was my friend, even though he killed me at every, le- at every level, um, we would partner together for a purpose. The enemy, he has his own allies. And we've got to be aware that he is working with certain things in this life to help him achieve his purpose. Now, it's, they're not, they're not, I'm not talking about the demons that he's got with him at this point, right? I'm talking about two other things in this life that he actually is able to leverage and partner with. And if we're not careful, we will be unaware that he uses them to outwork his purpose in our life. And, um, you know, so we're going we're gonna to unpack those this morning. Here we go. Ally number one. Ally number one. Can I, get, can I get my notes to work? Here we go. There we go. Ally number one this morning. Come, we get some insight into it from 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. It says this, 1 John chapter 5, 19. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Now, something to note. The, the world, right, it's, it's not, that's not the devil. Okay? I know that sounds like, well, that's like 101. Awesome. But sometimes we can, we, can, we can approach it as if it is, right? And we get all, all worked up about the world. It's, the devil. it's not the devil. But we have to understand that at some level it is under, under the control and the influence and the manipulation and the usage of the enemy to achieve his purpose. Okay? And so we have to understand that actually the world, the world's systems, the, the world's culture that has been curated over centuries of his influence over people, right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't make stuff happen. He influences people in, in, in particular ways. And over time, they create the cultures and the systems that we exist within, okay? We are not of this world, but we are in this world, and there is a way in which this world sees the world, it sees life, it sees, it sees achievement, it sees right, and, and we have to understand that those things have been, over the years, manipulated, influenced, directed by the enemy, and, and in doing so, for his purpose to be achieved, okay? And so... The world systems, their thinking, their reasoning, their philosophies on life, right? We've got to understand that if, if, if we're not careful, we will allow the thinking of the world to infiltrate our lives as believers and not even realize that we are partnering and allowing an ally of our enemy to direct the way we think about life. And if that, that creates in us so much opportunity for him to infiltrate into our thinking and therefore our living, right? Because we live out of what we believe and what we think, right? And so sometimes it's not even so much him, but that we have bought into a thinking and a reasoning that he has actually partnered with and is allying with. And so 
This is why Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, to the culture, the systems of this world, right? It's like, it doesn't mean that, oh, I'm not going to do that because it's world. No, 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 there's a system. There's a, there's, a, there's a way of thinking. There's a reason behind stuff. There's a, there's a, it's what it celebrates, right? The culture of this world is so self-focused. Okay, it's so aimed at self-satisfaction and gratification, and it's that, that pursuit that we realize is actually at odds to what the life that Christ is calling us to, which is one of self-sacrifice, one of love, which is others first, right? So the systems of the world actually is, is, is pulling us in a direction that, is a, that goes contrary to the life of a believer. And we've got to be aware that the enemy is going to partner with that. He's going to use that. Um, and we see this really clearly, actually, in 1 John chapter 2. I'm not sure. Yeah, I did. I gave it to the guys. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it says this. Right? It says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit. That doesn't mean that you can't, you can't love the beach. Okay, sometimes we can misinterpret Scripture. It doesn't mean that you can't love, like, the things, the, the, the world in which we live. It doesn't mean you can't love people. It doesn't mean you can't love music. It doesn't mean you can't love food and celebration. What it's trying to tell you is don't love the systems and the pursuit and the, 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 the let, let's, let's use a scripture word, don't love the idolatry of this world. Don't chase after the things that it says is worth celebrating. And, you know, like there's a deeper thing that we've got to be aware of. And 1 John 2, 15 to 16 says, it says this, it says, you do not, if you do that, right, if you pursue those things, then you're going against what it looks like for someone who loves God. Because someone who loves God loves the things that he says that are important in life. And says, for the world offers three things. Three things. A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and, and pride in our achievements and possessions. This is, I mean, like if you want a scripture that gives you insight into what Romans 12 is actually talking about, that's what it's talking about. They are the systems and the cultures of this world that we are supposed to be transformed away from, not conformed to, okay? Physical, selfish gratification, greed for all we see, I want, I want, I want, and pride in my achievements and successes. And if we are honest, like, can we, like real talk, we all struggle with those three things. We all struggle with those three things because we have been brought up in that world. Like, that, like, the systems of the world are embedded within us without us even realizing, which is why we have to be transformed once we believe in Christ, we become a new creation, we have an opportunity actually to be transformed. We've got to recognize and be honest enough with ourselves and with God that, wow, I have those things still very much a part of my thinking, my makeup, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm actually pursuing. Like, I don't suddenly become this, this, this person uh, that, is, that is pursuing all the things that God wants. I, I now have the desire to, okay? But there's a lifetime of transformation required to go from someone who is cultivated and, and infiltrated with the ways of the world to someone who is pursuing the things of Christ. And this brings us to our second, the enemy's second ally. The, the world is his first ally. Its systems, okay, its cultures, its pursuits, its desire for self-gratification, pleasure, uh, like, like celebration of accolade and, and all of those things. The second one, and this, this is a little closer home, the second one is actually our own flesh. <laughs> right? Like, who thought the saying, I'm my own worst enemy, 
would actually have some application to my life as a believer. But the truth is that my own flesh doesn't help me. It helps the enemy in his purpose of trying to steal, kill, and destroy my life. Okay? And we've got, to, we've got to be aware that because our flesh was, was formed and constructed and, and, and like, uh, it, was, it was wired when we had an old nature, which was, which was in line with the ways of this world, we actually have a, fresh, a flesh that still craves those three things. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Stop trying to pretend you don't have that, right? Like, until we get to heaven, we get this new body and all that. Man, we're going to have a flesh that craves after those things. And we just have to be aware. We have to have an awareness that that is what is at work. Right? Matthew 26, 41, it says, Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay? This, the, and, and so there is this contrast between the spirit that we have been given by Christ, which is now living within us, and the flesh that still exists. Okay? And, and my flesh is weak. My flesh wants those things. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're better at pretending than I am, but my flesh still wants those three things, okay? And, and I have found that if I'm real enough with Jesus, I can take that to him, and, and he already knows anyway. But, you know, Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, helping us to understand that there is a difference between what the Spirit is going to put, like, like, direct us towards and what my flesh is actually trying to, like, hey, come over here. And the Spirit's like, no, 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 go over there. I'm like, ah, I want to go over here, right? Like, there is a war within us, and Paul talks about this war within us. Romans seven eighteen says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Okay, Paul is so aware that although he is a new creation in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away, all things have become new. I've got a new spirit within me. He's like, I've got an old flesh outside of me, right? Like, my, I've got a new nature in me, but my flesh is the same. And until that new nature is able to take like full transformation, there's still going to be parts of me that are desiring those old things. Romans thirteen fourteen says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Those desires are still there. Let's stop pretending they're not. Let's start acknowledging they are so we can work with the Holy Spirit to, to, to pursue things of Him rather than just go after all the things. Well, I feel like it. Woo, right? Let's, let's stop pretending that our feelings don't sometimes push us in the wrong direction. Uh, let's stop pretending that somehow every desire we want is leading us towards Jesus rather than just satisfying the desires of our flesh. James 1.14 says, But for each person, when he is lured, okay, there's this, we've got to understand, okay, okay, let's, let's try to break this down because we, we have to live by the truth that we are new creations in Christ, right? So how do, we, how do we reconcile that the truth says I'm a new creation and yet my reality says that I've got an old flesh? How do we reconcile this? All right, so think about it like this. The old nature is like the software. The old nature is like uh, what ends up imprinting on what your flesh desires, Okay, and, and obviously, for a long time, it's imprinting a desire to go after the things of this world, right? The desires of the flesh, the, the, the greed of the eyes, those sorts of things. Our old nature imprinted those desires on our flesh. It's a little bit like when you're a little kid and, and, and you've, been, you've been sheltered from sugar, okay? You've been sheltered from sugar. And then you go to that one birthday party where your parents don't come with you, 
and there's like there's a bowl of lollies, and and you're, it's like oh my, your your eyes just it's like there's a new level of life that comes to you as the sugar courses through your veins, right? You are never the same, and your flesh is is in that moment imprinted with a desire for sugar, refined sugar, right? And and it's like you don't you didn't realize that was going to happen, okay? Just like our flesh is imprinted with this desire for self gratification, we didn't realize that was going to happen, right? And then you get a little bit older and you're like, mm, refined sugar is not great for my waistline. And, and you start eating nori sheets. And, and, and you know the nori sheets are good for you, but that doesn't mean that at 11 p.m. at night when you're watching a movie and a bag of Skittles is there that your flesh doesn't still desire that bag of Skittles. You can change the, you can change the information on the inside. You can change what's giving life to desire, but you're still going to have a flesh that remembers that refined sugar is real good. Okay, and so you can, you, you, your old nature has been crucified. So there's actually no your old nature that used to provide this imprintation, right? That's definitely a word. That's dead. That's gone. You have a new nature that is attempting now to imprint new desires on your flesh. The problem is your flesh still likes refined sugar. Your flesh still likes going after what satisfies it physically. It still likes going after what's going to give you a sense of self-satisfaction and, and well, I'm so good because I did that and I achieved that and I'm awesome. And your flesh still wants that because that's what it used to be imprinted with. Just because you've got a new imprinting nature within you now doesn't mean that your flesh has come into alignment with everything it's attempting to imprint onto it. Okay, and so that's how we, re- that's how we reconcile that, yes, I do have a new nature, and that new nature is giving me the desires after God's heart. It gives me the desire to want to do what He is saying, right? But I still actually have the flesh that carries some of those same old desires that were imprinted over the years, and I've got to deal with that, right? So our flesh is still driven in certain directions, and one piece Peter, 1 Peter, uh, where are we? 1 Peter 1, 13 to 14 says this. I don't know, again, if I gave this scripture. I did. Awesome. It says, so prepare your minds for action. Love this. Peter is like, stay alert. Watch out. Be prepared. Actually, be prepared in your mind because it all happens up here. And exercise self-control. Why do you need self-control if yourself is always in alignment with where the Spirit wants to go? Um, because it's not. Because it's not. And so we have to control ourselves. Okay, and we do that because we have the spirit whose fruit is self-control, so we actually can, all right, which is awesome, but we have to. <laughs> you have to. Don't just, don't just assume it's going to happen, okay? Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Okay, like I didn't know any better. All right, I didn't know it. I don't know about you, but maybe you didn't know any better. Okay, so hum, so 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 we've got to we've got to be aware we are going to have these desires. They're going to be pulling us in a particular direction. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you're not in relationship with Jesus because you've got these desires. That's just recognizing I have a flesh that still needs transformation. Okay, but we've got to be aware of it. All right. Come on. Sorry, my notes are playing havoc with me this morning. Here we go. So, the world is not the devil. Our flesh is not the devil. I know that sounds like unground-breaking, but they are his allies, and he will work with them. He will, he will use them. He will manipulate them. He will, he will leverage them, 
in our lives to achieve his purpose. And we've got to be aware of that, right? He partners with them for our own destruction. So what is our part to play here? Peter has said a number of times, it's awareness. Because awareness is the first step to victory. If we are unaware, we will be living in defeat without even realizing. We will simply be wondering why we are not progressing in our transformation. We're not progressing in freedom. And half of the battle is you're just not aware that the enemy is using your own flesh against you in that. And, and, and you just got to be aware of it. Right. Peter, is, Peter says this, is knowing that these things, that the culture of this world and our own flesh are sometimes assisting the attempts of the enemy in our lives. This is the way it is. This is the way it is, okay? So what do we do? Here we go. Now, I don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but next week, Pastor Jez is going to, I'm telling you, she's going to bring an incredible, incredible word that you do not want to miss, right? And she's going to unpack a little bit of the difference between um, Eve and Jesus, because this is where we see two interactions with the enemy, okay? And we, we get one who walks away in defeat and one who walks away in victory. And if we put those two together and have a look at maybe how they approached it differently, we get a whole lot of wisdom and insight into how we should respond to the enemy in our lives. I'll give you a little bit of, can I give you a little like sneak peek for next week, okay? Number one, okay, Eve, she engaged, all right? She engaged with the enemy. Don't do that. Okay, we don't engage with the enemy, all right? What did Jesus do? Jesus resisted the enemy. And it's funny, right, because James, Jesus' half-brother, picks up on this. He, he's obviously learned something hanging out with his half-brother, and he says this to us in James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it's interesting, right? Like our, our go-to response is, is resistance, not not, well, I'm going to engage and I'm going to defeat you through my ability to outwit you or my ability to argue against what you're presenting. No, 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 no. That's, that's where we come unstuck because the enemy is actually a lot smarter than us. He knows a lot more than us. He's been around for a lot longer than us. He is manipulative and sneaky. And if you engage with him and try to win the argument with him and try to win the conversation with him, you are going down a slippery slope to defeat. That's what Eve did. She, she engaged. She tried to talk to him. Oh, well, I don't know. No, no, no. no You've you got to look at what Jesus did because Jesus' response was, it was so powerful, right? It was a, res, it was a resistance. It was, a, a, and this is this thing about resistance is that we misinterpret what it looks like because we think resistance looks like run away. We think resistance is, well, if I just don't give in to the temptation, that's resistance. And I, I just like, I want it, I want it, but I'm, I'm trying really hard to resist it. Okay, that, that is like, resistance is far more offensive than it is defensive. Okay, we think sometimes resistance is our defense, but it's not. Resistance is our offense. Resistance, let me unpack this for a little bit. The Word of God, okay, if we look at what Jesus did, Jesus responded immediately with the truth. Immediately. He was not willing to engage in whether that truth was up for discussion. He responded with, with a confrontation kind of attitude. He was like, it was just like this big hand to the face of the hand. Do you remember when like, oh, don't talk to, you know, talk to the hand, you know, blah, blah, blah. Talk to the elbow. It's not worth the extension. Um, right? Like, that was the way Jesus responded. And I think sometimes we think resistance is, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand until these thoughts pass. 
that's not resistance, that's avoidance. Okay? Or I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like, if I just try, if I just don't like think about, if I, no, no because what you will find is those thoughts will continue to just rattle around in your mind until you actually engage, not engage, sorry, you actively resist. There is an active resistance required to overcome the way the enemy tries to work in our life. Resistance is not running, it's not sticking our head in the sand, it's actually a definitive, strong, forceful response. It is intentional. Okay, it's not like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to try to not be overcome. It's turning around, deliberately in facing what the enemy is saying with an offensive shield. It is deliberately ir- like putting up a wall that is immovable. It is responding to his subtlety, his question, with, with something definitive, right? We don't engage in the discussion. We stop it with a definitive response. But I think too often what we actually do is we try, to, we try to engage thinking that we've got to turn the argument around or we've got to win or we've got to do something like that when actually the best thing we can do is simply be like, no, no, this is what God says about me. So the enemy, you know, your flesh draws you in a temptation, in, a, in, in, in the sin, you know, and so the enemy comes at you with accusation. With, oh, so are you really? Are you really changed? Are you really a new creation? Because you know, you still you still feel very much in the same way you used to. Are you you sure you're a new? Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you? You see how he comes at you like that? It's like it's subtle. Like he uses your own flesh to to kind of present you with something that is trying to do. And you know what you need to do? You don't engage in that. You don't you don't try to argue with him. You simply say, ah, God says I'm a new creation. Uh, end of discussion. It's not a discussion, it's a definitive response. And I have come to realize that resisting the enemy has to be far more intentional than I ever thought. It has to be far more intentional. Resistance, I've realized, is, is offensive in its nature. It's just not advancing, right? It, it, it's a resilience to not lose ground without any need to have to take ground in that moment. My resistance is offensive in the sense that I am not allowing the enemy to have any further ground in my life, in my thinking. I am offensively resisting his assault rather than thinking I've got to take ground against him in that moment. It is an offensively placed barrier or wall in response to the attempts of the enemy to take ground against me. Resistance requires a fight off, and we must fight off the thoughts with force, not just a hope that somehow they will go, because they don't. They don't go of their own accord. They don't go just if we just hope they'll go. Well, if I, I just, if I just, if I just kind of grit my teeth, I hope they'll just go away. No, no, no. You've got to have the word of God in you so that you can respond offensively in resistance against Him. And you know, at the end of the day, what we what we need in this space is is boldness and courage. We need boldness and courage to stand and resist the lies, the subtlety, the 
the ways in which the enemy tries to come against us and uses the, the, the allies that he has in the world, its systems, what it says we should go after, what it says makes us valuable, what it says makes us important, what it says makes us accepted, what it says makes us whatever it is that you crave within you. He's going he's gonna to use that system of the world and he's going to use your own flesh. And our job is to resist to humble ourselves, to recognize, hey, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I can't engage, but I can resist. You know why? Because, because I've got this. I've got this, and this says something about me. This says that I have been made a new creator. This says that God accepts me. This says God adopted me. This says God wants me. This says, and, and we've got to get enough of this says to not need to have a discussion. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what the enemy's been trying to play out in your mind this week, but I do know that the Holy Spirit is with you right now. And I know that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you with a boldness and a courage to stand and resist the enemy. I know that, that you, you, you don't get hung up on the fact that you may not know every scripture necessary to find. No, no, no. If you just know one scripture that you can stand on, that you can be like, I know this. I'm telling you that one word of God is going to be enough to see you make a stand against the enemy and resist what he is trying to, to, to do in your life. And sometimes, sometimes we've just, we've got to find one or two scriptures and get a hold of them and, and use them intentionally in our life. I never realized how intentional I had to be with, with my thinking. I never realized how, how dangerous, unintentional thoughts were. And so I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for boldness and for courage. So Heavenly Father, right now, for every one of us, I pray that your spirit would stir up boldness and courage to stand against, to resist the enemy and how he is attempting to work in, in, in all of our lives, Father. In Jesus' name.